Brendan. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, God is good. I do want to echo um, um, my brother here and just to highlight, it is a joy to be here. My kids are, are now in there with their groups in Jesus' name. Praise God. Um, they are excited to, to learn and grow in the Lord. My mother, um, growing up, uh, was notorious for signing us up for stuff without even asking us. She would say, no, this is the Lord's will for you. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, we would go to camps, even through college. I never spent a summer at home in college. Why? Because Karen Loritz was moved by the Spirit of God to sign me up for a summer in the city project in Los Angeles. The following summer, oh, you're doing an internship at this particular church. And then after my junior year, part of policy as student at Moody had to do a internship. So Praise God for Mama. Mama, not, not, not asking, but telling us this is what you're going to do, has imprinted my life, and now we get to pass the baton to our kids. You will learn about Jesus. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Psalm 113, Psalm 113, as you're turning there, it's good to have my wife, Lucretia, uh, here. Um, we've been married for 18 years, and the time is flying by, and, and praise God, praise God for her. And as I said earlier today, I don't have a series per se, but I do have some messages that the Lord has given me because he's been speaking to me personally on it. So I want to invite you in as we're just looking at God's word. So I ended off this issue today, earlier today on praise. And so I want to continue that at least um, today out of Psalm 113. Spoke on Psalm 13 earlier. Now we're looking at Psalm 113. This wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Psalm. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this wonderful um, property, Lord, where your name in your, in your work and um, the spiritual surgery that you're doing in the souls of our young people. Lord, I pray that there will be um, new decisions for Christ. Maybe there's some unbelievers that are coming here uh, this, this week. I pray that you would intercept them. I pray that uh, those who are saved, Lord, that you would continue to deepen their walk and fire afresh their affections for you and Give them a grand vision of, of who you are and what you desire to do in and through these young people's lives. Thank you, Lord, for this ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this evening as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. You know what's interesting? All around sports world, especially, or if you were to go to barbershops or cafes or text messages or side conversations, there's always, it, without fail, without fail, without fail, there's always the conversation of who is the GOAT? The greatest hockey player, the greatest baseball player, the greatest basketball player, <coughs> Michael Jordan, the greatest uh, <laughs> soccer player, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest, the greatest. Why? Why? Because people are captivated by greatness. Um, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Why is that? Because when we think of certain athletes, we think of these athletes that have proven themselves over time, um, when it mattered the most, when, when it really counted. Uh, we, 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 we marvel at that glory, so to speak, because of their consistent way of accomplishing something that seemed impossible. You know, a few seconds left on the clock. Uh, a strategy that's marked against them, but MJ comes down the lane or he turns around and shoots the fadeaway and everybody's left stunned and people remember greatness. Do we understand that greatness is in our midst? 
I'm not talking about any individual that we see here. I'm talking about the God who's among us. The one who is invisible, but yet he has manifested himself in creation. We see, we see his handiwork all through everywhere. That greatness is in our midst. And what's interesting about greatness is that greatness demands a response, right? If you get stellar service at a restaurant, and it's every time you think refill, the, the waiter comes by and refills. Every time something seems to be lacking, they come by. There, there is this desire to respond to great service. Nobody in their right mind will say, man, that server came. Every time I needed them, they were so polite. They were, they were right there. I think I'll thank that person in my heart. <laughs> no. You do something tangible in a form of a, of a, of a wonderful tip in Jesus' name. Why? Because you want to express your gratitude. And this is what praise is. Praise is expressing our gratitude to God. In fact, if you'd like to take notes, uh, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, um, it's known as the Egyptian Hallel. These, these feasts uh, of dedication, the Feast of New Moons and the Passover, these various praise psalms were sung during these, the, during these wonderful uh, feasts. And the reason why it's called the Egyptian Hallel is simple. It's, it's recalling God's, naviga- God's navigating his people from the land of Egypt all the way to the promised land. And so Psalm 113 is a Hallel. It is a praise psalm. And if you'd like to take notes this evening, here, here's my sermon in a sentence. You'll see me do this every, every week. I like to do this because, one, that's how I was trained. Two, nobody wants to walk away wondering what in the world was that. Okay? So here's my sermon in one sentence. All right? Here's what the sermon is going to be about, anchored in Psalm 113. Here it is. God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself. God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself. Let me just make a a, a disclaimer here or a statement of clarity. God doesn't need to prove himself to anybody. Okay? He's God. What I mean by proven is that he has established beyond doubt who he is, right? Uh, You look at creation. You look at the evidence of God. You see his glory. He has established himself without a shadow of a doubt who he is. So God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself. So there's three broad reasons why God is worthy of praise and why we must praise, why we must respond to the GOAT, (laughs) the greatest of all time. Number one, God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself, here it is, in his name. I love that, in his name. Uh, I get this from verse one through three. You see, praise the Lord, praise those servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, but there's a, there's a word that's being used repetitively, and it's the word praise. You know, the, you know, the word praise has been cheapened in our society, right? Uh, it, a lot of words have been cheapened in our society. But, but the idea of, of, of praise here is simply this, to make noise with your mouth and to give appropriate gesture, right? <laughs> praise God. Bless the Lord. It's to make it. And what I love about this psalm is that he's not asking you. He's not asking me. Will you you praise God, please? No. It's a command. 
if God has done anything in your life, praise him. If he's opened up doors, praise him. If he's protected you from something, praise him. If he's provided for you, praise him. If he woke you up this morning, praise him. Nobody walks, should walk around saying, especially believers, you know, I think I'll thank him in my heart, and that's enough. No. You know, i got to be honest with you. You know, I, you know, time out for recreational preaching. Let me just say this. You know, I, 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 have, I have been around long enough to see church folk critique other people's praise. How dare they? They're distracting me. Oh, who do they think they are? They don't take all that. Well, hold on. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. First of all, you don't know that person's story. You don't know what they've been through. Just because they don't praise the way you praise doesn't mean they're less than you. Because if we think long enough, we all will have a readiness to praise of a Savior hanging naked on a cross making payment for your sin and my sin. How dare we critique somebody else? The other side of the coin is this. We all need to max out who God created us to be. Now, your praise is going to be different than your neighbor's praise. That's okay. We all are different. We all have been fashioned differently in our mother's womb. Praise be unto God for the uniqueness that we all have. But we all must turn up the dial of our praise to God. For some of us, the best is this. (laughs) This is just me, man. For the others of us, it's running in place. Praise God. I remember being in South Africa, my wife and I, with a team of kids, with a team of kids from inner city Chicago, taking some inner city kids from Chicago overseas. That's an adventure. (laughs) And I remember being in South Africa, and these kids, these kids, they're dancing. Bambalela, 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 jetsu, bambalela. Bambulela, Jetsu, Bambulela. This is what they're saying. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Praise God. And it was cool watching our American selves. Oh, yeah, this is unique. (laughs) But that's okay. You do realize that heaven is going to be a multi-ethnic praise party for all of eternity where your preference of music is not going to be the main genre. It's going to be diverse. So we better get ready now through the dress rehearsal of life and get used to the reality that we are called to praise God. Now let's get specific on this because it's not just anything random because we are commanded to praise God. But he also says, uh, I love this, praise the name of the Lord. Three times in verse 1 through 3, the name is mentioned. Now, unfortunately, in our culture today, names have meanings. And I've often wondered why some parents name their child certain names. Because I'm like, ooh, it's going to be hard for them to get a job down the road. (laughs) But in this culture and time, names have weight, have meaning. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we see one name that's critical here, Lord, all caps, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. Jehovah is a made-up word. It's transliteration, but it's Y-H-W-H. It's the unspeakable name. In fact, when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, the Jews knew what he was saying. That's why they picked up the stones to try to kill him. But this idea of I am, this idea of Yahweh speaks of God's covenant name. 
that God descends down and he's in covenant relationship with his people. That he's binded himself to us. That he's chosen. He didn't have to do it, by the way. But this great God, we praise the name of the Lord. The idea is confidence. The idea is friendship. In fact, let me just uh, jump into some theological waters here. This name, the name of the Lord, gives us at least five main ideas about God. Listen to this. Number one, uh, one idea about God is that it's simple. God is a person. God is a person. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they'll try to say, well, he's a force, or to try to describe the, you know, him as a, just, just some kind of it or force. I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. No, 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 he's a person. Intellect, will, emotion. He draws near. He's speaking. He's speaking through his word. He, he's always working, right? So God is a person. Another idea about this name is that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. I love this. Let this mess with your head as it did with mine. Listen to this. We cannot know God except as he reveals himself to us. And even then, we do not know God in himself. <laughs> we only know him anthropomorphically. That is, only to the extent that he compares himself to us and to the finite things we know. God is a person. God is self-existent. But number three, God is self-sufficient. I love this. This mean means that God has no needs. He didn't need to create us. Try this one for size. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our praise. So next time we look in the mirror and sing how great thou art, let's remember we're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. No, he doesn't need us. This is why it's an act of grace that he uses us. And this is why it's stupid to be arrogant. Because when a man of God dies or a woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. And when we go on to glory, God says, next. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, let's get up and go. So he doesn't need us. I love what one scholar says. He says, God does not need helpers or defenders or worshipers. We contribute nothing to God. <laughs> we praise the name of the Lord. Fourth idea about God is that God is eternal. You know, Psalm, 9, Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, I love this, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Like, what? Think, think about this. He spoke and the worlds were formed. Theologians would call it ex nihilo, out of nothing. We don't even know what nothing looks like. He spoke and the worlds were formed. But he's outside of time. He's eternal. Hmm. Job 36, 26. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. You see, he has to speak in anthropomorphic language because that's all we can try to grasp. God doesn't have time or years stamped to him. And because God is eternal and not confined by time and space, he is forever past, present, and future right now. 
So God is a person. He's self-existent, self-sufficient. God is eternal. And number five, God is unchangeable. Theologians call this the immutability of God, meaning God never defers from himself who and what he is today. He will be tomorrow. God does not evolve. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So what does this mean for us? What, what does this mean for us under this first heading that he has proven himself in his name? Well, let me give you two suggestions. Number one, God can be trusted. Oh, he can be trusted. Yo, yes, yes, he can. Yes, he can. My, 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 my aunt, my aunt Voni, my aunt Voni, my dad's uh, sister, my dad's the youngest of three. He's, uh, he's the only boy and two older sisters. Both of them are in glory. My aunt Voni recently passed. Mighty woman of God. When my dad got the call that she was on her last, last breath, my dad, with tears streaming down his face, said he got on an airplane and he, he pleaded with God, let me get to my sister before she passes. He gets to the hospital, she's still alive. And when he walks into the hospital, and this is a mighty woman of God, she kept saying to my, her dad, her brother, my dad, my baby, my baby. And she said these words over and over again. I just want to go home. I want to see mama. I want to see my savior. I want to see Jesus. Where does that come from? That comes from a life that trusted God. And I tell you, oh, she's having a good day today. She don't want to come back to this dump. She's in the presence of God, and those we know who have gone on to glory, they are experiencing a freedom that right now we get a bite-sized glimpse of. But, oh, when I look at God's word, I can declare to you that, oh, we can trust him. Oh, we sure enough can trust him. And you see God's track record in your life. You see his faithfulness in your life. And the announcement that we can praise God is that, yes, we can trust him. But also, second applicational thought is that God is inescapable. You know, we can try to run all we want to. Oh, the old preachers used to say, he's the great hound of heaven. Oh, we, we suppress his truth. We push him away. God has a, has, a, has a mighty way of coming after us. Can anybody relate? Oh, you don't want to listen? All right, all right. I'm going to create some circumstances. I'm going to squeeze your behind. <laughs> because you're going to know that I am that I am. So God is worthy of praise because he's proven himself in his name. But number two, God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself, I love this, in his authority. In his authority. Look at verse 4 and 6. The, the Lord, I love this, is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high, who looks far down. On the heavens and the earth. I love, I love how the Bible just asks questions with the obvious answer. You know the answer, bro. Come on, man. <laughs> Who is like the Lord our God? The answer is no one. I love Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verse 25. <laughs> to whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. You're really going to compare me to a statue that's carved out and put up in a restaurant with some sweet and sour sauce to it? You really? We laugh, but people do that. Idolatry is real. 
Tim Keller, who's now in glory, he's fond of saying that the heart is an idol factory. There's not a person on this planet, and you hear me, there is not a person on this planet that's not worshiping. Everybody's worshiping. The question is who? Who? Is it myself? Is it my pleasures? Is it my kids? Is it my spouse? Or is it the one that woke me up this morning, the Lord? So who is like the Lord our God? No one. Here's two two main reasons why there's no one like our God. Number one, he sits high. (laughs) Isaiah 57, verse 15a says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up. Now this is an amazing phrase here. Who inhabits eternity? Whose name is holy? Now after he makes that preliminary, here's the, the, the bullseye. God speaking, I dwell in the high and holy place. (laughs) We can barely look at the sun for that amount of seconds. What What makes us think that we can stand before him? It's interesting, interesting. Isaiah 6, you do realize that no man can see God and live even in eternity. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light. Six wings, two to fly, two to cover their feet, Isaiah chapter 6, and two to cover their eyes. Not even the angels can look. You hear, hear me. They can't look at him and live. He sits high. That's supreme holiness. That's a supreme posture of awe and wonder. I think some words we need to reserve only for God. Awesome is one of them. To be awesome is to be awestruck. No, my kid's not awesome. No, my job is not awesome. Only God is awesome. He sits high, and this is why there's no one like our God. He stoops low. Think about that. Think, Think about that. Think about how awesome that is. Our God sits high, but he stoops low. Verse 6, the opening line, who looks far down. It's a Hebrew expression. It communicates the idea of an inspector, of a a detective leaning in and, and, and observing the evidence that God is not far off and aloof. He's involved. That's why the psalmist would say, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man? God is intentional with his creation is what I'm trying to say. He is a divine engager. He is involved. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9a echoes this thought. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. One scholar says that God has done two things, each of which seems to make the other impossible. He has taken his seat so high that no one can match him, yet he has regard for the lowest of the low in that he looks down so far. (laughs) So what does this mean for us? Uh, What is our response to the authority of God? Here's one suggestion. Number one, we need to get as low as we can as fast as we can. Get as low as we can 
as fast as we can. The Bible talks about humility. I love the, I love the verse in Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, poor in spirit. In translation, those who embrace their God neediness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God has a problem with us who think we're too sexy for our shirt. There's only one person in glory that can be full of himself, and that's God. The only other time that that actually happened, he kicked him out. Hello, Satan. I will make myself, okay, really, get up out of here. Get as low as we can, as fast as we can. Humility is a posture where we can experience God. And we all struggle with pride, every last one of us. You don't believe me? Just observe children. Innately mine. Innately the selfishness. It's innate within the human heart. We're, we're born with this, with, this, with this struggle, with this desire to want things our way. We, we, we want this, and that's why the crucible of life, God has to constantly chop us down. I'll talk about this in in a few days with Elijah sitting by a brook, but I I just want to encourage us that we position ourselves in a great place to worship God and to authentically praise him when we worship from a position of humility. That God, I need you. Another thought here is we need to listen to him. My father, as I mentioned, he's, he's a preacher and has many sayings that I remember, and one of the constant lines that he would say to us growing up, and even as an adult, is simple. Only one voice matters. Ultimately, only one voice matters. It's not the voice of your pastor. Listen to your pastor. Amen, amen. Ultimately, it's not the voice of your spouse. Yes, listen to your spouse, but, but ultimately, it's the voice of God. It's often, as I said, <laughs> told people, well, I want to know, I want to I I hear God speak. I want to I hear his voice. I'm like, really? Open up your Bible. <laughs> Read it out loud. You just heard the voice of God. I know I'm being funny, but, but, but seriously, the more we're in the scripture, the more in tune I'll be with his voice. The more, the, Paul, Paul would tell Timothy, train yourself in godliness. The more I saturate my heart with God's truth, the more I'll be able to discern right from wrong, make the right decisions, give a word to a person that needs a word. Because I'm in the word, I'm able to give the word. And so if I want, to, want my praise to be anchored and to have weight, I need to get as low as I can, as fast as I can. I need to listen to God's voice. And the way I know his voice is that I spend time with him in prayer, in his word. And I will be on the trajectory of praising God and being, held, and being, being awestruck by his authority. God is worthy of praise because, because he's proven himself in his name, because he has proven himself in his authority. And this one right here just blows my mind. Move me to tears as I've studied this. Number three, God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself, here it is, in his loving care. Where do I get this from? Well, you, that's verses seven and nine. Notice two critical examples here. God helps the poor. God helps the poor. Verse seven and eight. He raises the poor from the dust. Measure these words. And lifts the needy from the ash heap. Oh, the expression, uh, the dust, ash heap, are people who are at the lowest of lows in their life. 
We've heard of rock bottom, but I'm talking about people who are so far down, they look up and can't even see bottom. Where life has gotten the best of them. And as a pastor, you see that often. Bad choices, bad decisions, uh, addictions, or horrific circumstances, you, you name it. It's just a boatload of stuff. We all know some people. Maybe you're here today, and you, you know what it's like to be so low in your life. But God's loving care, I love it, reaches down. It, it intervenes. And notice the expression raises, lifts. These are resurrection words. That God loved me enough to reach down in my despair, in my pain, in my, in my stress. He pulls me up, but not just he pulls me up and raises me. No, the idea here is to be raised and to be put into a fixed position. Ah, and that's why he says in verse 8, to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. Interesting. So God not only reaches so far down, you hit rock bottom, brings you to a fixed position. He don't just leave you in a fixed position. He now gives you a seat at the table. Hello, Mephibosheth. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we all are born into sin. And when we turn from our sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, we get a chance now to experience his heavenly riches. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, and raised us up, speaking about the work of God, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God's loving care is that he helps the poor. And we all are born spiritually poor. But this great God intervenes and gives us a seat at the table. This is why, this is not my notes, I I need to say this, this is why the Bible is pro-life. From the womb to the tomb. Psalm 139. We need to be, we need to care about the dignity of every human being that's made in the Imago Day in the image of God. And in recent years and all the craziness in this country, I gotta be honest with you, you know, sometimes I think, man, we cannot just be pro-birth. We need to be pro-life, all of life. Help the broken, help the less fortunate. Help the person, help the single parent mother who's trying to figure things out. Help the fatherless child. That's also being pro-life. It's an extension of what God has done to us, that we ought to give loving care to people. Ministry at the end of the day is about people. God doesn't anoint plans. He anoints people. Acts 1-8. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. God does not anoint plans. He anoints people. And that's why he told the disciples, stay here until you are clothed with power from on high, because I got a mission to tell the world that Jesus loves them. Do you hear what I'm saying? So God's loving care needs to be active, not just in our, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah, but in my feet, in my movement. Because, because God has done for us. Never forget, my dad would often do this to us growing up. He would drive us through poverty areas. 
He'll say something like, hey, that's somebody's son. That's somebody's daughter. Always care for people. Because God has cared for us. God helps the poor. But the second aspect of his care is that, I love this, oh, hallelujah, God helps the barren. Look at verse 9. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. We know some, some key women in Scripture. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. I love this. She, she couldn't have children. And she pleaded with God, give me a son, Lord, and, I, and I'll give him to you all the days of his life. And the Lord heard her cry, blessed her with Samuel, and she dedicated Samuel, this great prophet of God. And by the way, Samuel's name in Hebrew means the Lord has heard. So every time she would call her son's name, she's reminded that God heard her cry and God opened up her womb. If you read Hannah's prayer, she praises God. Another example, now this isn't a, a barren situation, but it's, also, it's an impossible situation. We think of Mary, a virgin, finding out she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And praise God that he was patient enough to work with, work with Joseph. Hold on now. It's, it is of me. I'm going to give you a dream, brother. I'm going to give you a dream. But what does Mary do? She also praises God. See, both of these examples go to show you that God can come into an impossible situation and come through. And their response is praise. He helps the poor. He helps the poor. He helps the barren. So how do we respond to God's love? Well, let me just say this. We need to remember where we once were. I mentioned today earlier that we need to review God's grace. Yeah, you know, let's just think about it. Remember where we once were. I don't know about you, but I serve a God who's not only a God of a second chance, because I blew my second chance up a long time ago. We serve a God of another chance. And if you're, act, if you're alive today and you're breathing, that's that you're a candidate for the grace of God. And we always need to remember where we once were, how lost we were, how helpless we were how needy we were. Lord, help us not to have spiritual amnesia. Help me to cherish your loving care. So remember where we once were. And also, we need to remember what God continues to do. When you look at what God's doing, when you hear these kids this week playing and having fun and all that, God is at work. The conversations that's going to happen in these rooms with the counselors and the, the, the worship time and all these different activities, God is at work. So we need to praise him. We need to praise him. And we also need to stand firm because, you know, the enemy is not sitting back saying, yeah, go for it. I'm just going to step back here. No. Forces of darkness, there is evil. But, oh, we serve a mighty God who can push back the enemy so that his word can take root into the hearts of these dear children and even our hearts today. I came across this funny but yet uh, powerful illustration. Listen to this. There was a lady who lived in the boondocks. We used to call it the boonies, middle of nowhere. She did not have electricity, but she wanted it. She called the electric company, and they made arrangements so that a line could be gotten out to her so that she could have the benefits of electricity. After delivering electricity to her home for almost six months, 
Someone at the company noticed that only one unit of electricity was being used. A serviceman, you know, was sent out to check and make sure there was no problem. He rang her doorbell, and when she answered, he asked, Hello, miss, are, are, are you using your electricity? She said, Yes, I am. May I ask what you are using it for? Well, when it gets dark, I turn it on long enough for me to light my kerosene lamp. This woman didn't understand the power she had. She had all this power that could keep things well lit all night long, but she was settling for a kerosene existence. Many Christians are settling for taking this great power that God has given them only to light their own human efforts. And far too many of us are not maximizing the power of his presence. Listen to me, you know, what's keeping us going is the power of God. What's keeping this world going is the power of God. We need to marvel at his power. We need to marvel about who he is. You know, when we got here, you know, living in the desert, oh. When we got here, the air is just different here. In Jesus' name, in a good way. Hallelujah, praise God. You know, I took these few deep breaths like, man, this is good. Yes. And it's like God said, yeah, enjoy it. Listen, enjoy God. We have access to him through Christ. Go on a walk. Get along in the word. Like I said this morning, make a joyful noise, even if you can't sing. Praise him. Even if it's just calling his names to him. Even if it's reciting scriptures back to him. We have access to him, and may we not ignore it or keep it to ourselves. Let's open our mouths and praise God. God is worthy of praise because he has proven himself. Amen? Amen. Let that encourage you this evening, even this week. And, and I would encourage us also, maybe you know, take some time with your families. Do some intercessory prayer, too, for what God's doing in these kids' hearts. Because we all are a product of somebody praying for us. Oh, yes, we are. We're standing on the shoulders of a lot of believers that have prayed for us. And so may we do the same. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it does change lives. Thank you for the example of scripture. Thank you for your loving care. Thank you for your activity. What is man that you are mindful of him? When I think about your patience with me, Lord, it moves me to tears many times because it's just mind-blowing. And God, we need you. I don't know what's facing us this week. I don't know what decisions that are pressing in on my sister or brother's heart. Oh, God, I pray that in this moment, right now, we choose to make the renewed commitment We're going to look to you no matter what. We're going to praise you. We're going to look at this psalm. We're going to look at your word. And we're going to behold your power. Anoint us, cover us, fill fill our cups today. Do a work in our hearts. Do a work in these beautiful kids' hearts here on this camp as well. With every person that's ministering. May there be a a holy stillness that fills this place. And may there be many testimonies of your work yet again, Lord, 
of what you can do, what you have done, what you're going to do. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.